the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. It's important to understand the energy landscape across the world if we're to make the best domestic energy policy decisions. For energy is a truly global market, and the actions of players in, for example, the Middle East or Russia do impact what happens in America and Canada. To discuss the geopolitics of energy with a focus on Ukraine, Russia, China, and of course the Middle East, I've invited energy expert Todd Royal back to the program. Todd is an internationally published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in Dallas, Texas. A graduate of Pepperdine University's School of Public Policy, Todd's expertise has informed the U.S. Department of Energy, the U.S. Department of Commerce, the U.S. Congress, and states of Kentucky, California, and Texas. His subject matter expertise covers hydraulic fracking, green hydrogen battery storage technologies, and nuclear reactors, which, by the way, will be the topic of our show next week, with Todd making a second appearance. (laughs) Unlike most subject matter experts in the field, Todd's background is in communication. As a trained actor and member of the Screen Actors Guild, Todd has experience on stage, on television, in film, and as a voice actor. So besides being an expert in the field of energy, he's also fun to listen to as he frames these complex topics in understandable language, which is really unusual. Most of what we hear nowadays from experts actually is very ununderstandable. So welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me again. I'm glad. Gosh, this is our, our third time together. I'm glad to be back with you. Yeah, that's great. So starting out with the current events, what has been the impact of the war in the Ukraine on the domestic energy scene in the U.S.? It's completely upended it. Um, we saw a United States that had was nearing true energy security. Yes, we still imported you know, fossil fuels. We imported nuclear fuel from nuclear power plants. But really, in the former administration, you saw you had true energy security. Uh, The United States was not worried. Where are we going to get coal, natural gas, oil? Once Russia upended Ukraine, it's an upending. It's an invasion. So now what you see is you you have more U.S. natural gas heading over to Europe. You now see nuclear power coming to the forefront of a way to have carbon-free electricity. You see that really, I would say this happened because of the United States. You see coal more in use now globally. Than you have anywhere because now there's so much natural gas going into the market from the United States that's causing other nations to then use more coal, whether Pakistan, India, China, because when you understand energy, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so the the price of the Henry Hub, you know, LNG, whether the United States or Europe, is going to affect coal prices in Shanghai. It's going to mm-hmm. affect how China's manufacturing base is going to power itself. So it's completely, completely upended the way energy works. I would make the argument, Tom, that the last time you saw energy markets, this upended was during World War II. Wow. Wow. And you were mentioning coal. It's obviously, despite what John Kerry says, it's not going away in places like China and, and India, is it? No. I mean, right after the, you know, the COP28 meeting for your audience, you know, the global warming meeting sponsored by the UN, was that like a month and a half ago? 
a report came out from the International Energy Agency. It's the leading energy research firm in the world. It's sponsored by, I think, over 30 different nations. They said coal is growing more than it ever has before. Um, currently, at last count, there were 363,000 megawatts that was being built. Another 208,000 was under siding and permitting. I mean, the numbers are gargantuan. To put that in perspective, the United States, I think we're at about roughly 203,000 megawatts. And for your audience, typically a megawatt means that about a thousand people are getting electricity or about 750 people. Those numbers can sometimes now be lower because we use electric vehicles, we use electricity more, we, you know, we use computers, we use iPhones in the home. So there's more, we just use a lot more electricity. Uh, today's television uses more than another television did previously. So when you see what's going on with coal, I would argue it's a direct correlation when Russia invaded Ukraine, then that upended these natural gas markets because mm -hmm. Russia was essentially supplying Europe with over half of its natural gas. And now it's not doing that anymore. And so the United States is producing and drilling and putting onto the world market more natural gas than they ever have. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that means natural gas it can be more expensive. It can be harder to come by. Now, the, the price is lower right now. But that's going to affect coal prices. That's going to affect lithium prices because energy markets are so interconnected. And because you had a major nuclear superpower invade a country that said they wanted to become part of NATO. And because Vladimir Putin said that was a red line for me and he meant it. Oh, yeah. That means that energy markets now have been completely upended. I would tell you, Tom, I believe you're going to see the growth of coal continue until the whole Russia and Ukraine. Um, Invasion is decided. Does Ukraine sue for peace? Does NATO force them? Does the United States? Do we allow Russia to keep what they already have, which is Crimea and large parts of Ukraine already? Mm -hmm. You will see coal use continue to skyrocket. And, and you will John, also see natural gas. Yeah. Yeah. Now, John yeah. Kerry was saying to the UN when he was the climate ambassador, he actually yes. said that the US was going to go off coal. I mean, do you think that's really going to happen? Um, I think people are trying to do it. I think because you see it because environmentalists right now have such an incredible sway over energy policies. What you really have is the radicals are in control. <laughs> yeah. You, you have people that have zero idea how an electrical grid works, zero idea how energy markets work. These are people who think that you can run the world off the sun and the wind. And the irony of that, Tom, is that a solar panel and a wind turbine, every single component in it has to be produced by fossil fuels. Yeah. To create a solar panel, it takes polysilicon, which is one of the most energy intensive ways. And really the, the process, the steam, the amount of energy it requires, the electricity that's required for that, it, it's phenomenal. And so it's, mm -hmm. why, it's why China continues to use coal because it's cheap, it's reliable, and it's resilient. Mm -hmm. Sure, the West, because we're in, we're enthralled with global warming and climate change, and you're allowing the U.S. Democratic Party or, you know, in Canada, Trudeau's party to scare the living hell out of everybody because the world thinks that we're warming uncontrollably. We aren't. And even if we are, then you've got to look at a different solution than wind turbines and solar panels. So that's only going to be nuclear. That's the only carbon-free way yeah. you're going to you're going to do 
you're going to have electricity. So when John Kerry says something like that, he's correct because of the U.S. Democratic Party, because of all the, the Green Party in Germany, Trudeau's party in Canada. You control the media, you control academia, you control really the formal levers of how society works is controlled by very radical people who are scared to death and he use it as a control mechanism, but who also believe that we're warming uncontrollably and they have no idea. They've never listened to guys like you. They've never listened to people like Steve Malloy. They've never listened to Richard Lindzen. Uh, I think there's Clintel, the Oregon Declaration. I mean, there's tens of thousands of guys like mm-hmm. you, climatologists, engineers, who say, we're not doing that. What is it? We're not warming uncontrollably. The, the, what's it? The 2022, 2023 Nobel Prize winner in physics said it's a hoax. Yeah, John Clauser. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So yeah. John Kerry's right that we are closing them, but it's because these are political choices. Yeah. This has nothing, nothing to do with technology. And I understand Germany is a reopening coal stations. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, of the, course, they they're suddenly have a massive reduction in natural gas input. Well, not only are they opening up coal, they're building natural gas facilities as fast as they can. Oh, and they're wow. using the dirtiest form of coal. You know, there's mm. um, not a lot of people know this. I want to be really clear on this. It's called uh, heel coal. Mm. And it's high energy heel. Some people call it Healy high energy, low emissions coal. The Japanese have done it. The South Koreans have done it. Even the Germans have done it. The Poles Mm -hmm. have done it. Uh, The Chinese kind of try to do it, but they're not, obviously they're not very environmentally friendly. It's a more expensive way to do coal, but it's also, it produces a lot less emissions. Is this anthracite? Uh, You can do anthracite, but it's just, you're just heating, you're heating it up at a higher, at a higher process heat. You're able to, it's it's lowering the emission. I believe you're also lowering the coal ash as well. So yeah. the Germans, the biggest problem, the mistake the Germans made was they bought into global warming, they bought into climate change, they bought into Angela Merkel's vision. Uh, I don't speak German, but it starts with a knee like Inger Whedon. Um, so your, <laughs> your German speaking audience can laugh at me right now. They bought yeah. into that in the you know the two thousand the early two thousands. And they have completely destroyed their economy. They, yeah, they and yeah. they shut down ten perfectly functioning uh, nuclear power stations within the last five years. They shut down, I believe it was three or four last year. What the sad part about that is that the Germans actually had the most efficient, highest capacity factor. I mean, this thing ran more than it was down mm-hmm. over most over most nuclear power plants around the world. So you're taking off gigawatts of power which a gig means about a million people are getting electricity so i'm pulling off millions worth of people getting carbon-free reliable nuclear power for now the dirtiest form of coal and more natural gas which by the way a figure just came out rosatom uh the state-owned natural gas firm of russia has now been uh exporting upwards of 30 their exports to europe are up 35 percent Oh, geez. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny how the environmentalists hate nuclear power. And yet I don't think anybody in North America has been killed by actual radiation or anything other than perhaps falling off a scaffolding when it comes to nuclear power. Is that right? That's true. You can also find figures that that show there have been more people killed by renewables, in particular a wind turbine, than has been by nuclear. 
Um, now, I want to qualify that because somebody could look at me and go, hey, okay, why don't you go live near a nuclear power plant? Hey, this thing could combust. It could explode. It could leak radiation everywhere. Yes. So I, I want to be empathetic to someone who says that. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that argument is not one person has ever been killed by nuclear waste. Not mm-hmm. one. Um, a uranium pebble, a pebble, a pebble, like literally a pebble you're going to get in a lake has more power than a swimming full swimming pool full of natural gas. A big one, meaning we're going to go work out in it. We're going to swim like Olympic swimmers. <laughs> Uh, it's got more than a, than a number of barrels of oil. So what happened to environmentalists, and Michael Schellenberger has done the best work on this. Mm-hmm. Um, another gentleman named, uh, I believe it's Mark Adams as well, but Michael in particular. People got scared to death over nuclear power. They equate nuclear power with a nuclear bomb. And that yeah. started happening around the 50s. And, yeah. you know, guys like you know this, engineers, uh, nuclear engineers in particular, the fission process of how I make electricity by a nuclear power plant is conti- is completely different than an explosion of a nuclear bomb. And if that were the case, uh, there's over, I believe, 400 nuclear power plants globally. They're all working as we speak or it's some form of working. Most of them are. So why aren't they exploding? In other words, it, it doesn't make sense. People also have been scared to death by the by the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Not that many people died that they claimed. And also, people don't realize this. And Newsweek magazine, to their credit, did a good piece on this. Do you know once the meltdown happened, which was a form of reactor that's no longer around, tests that would never be done, it was true negligence by the former Soviet Union, meaning the state-owned Russian company Rosatom would never do this kind of test on a reactor anymore that's not even around. Those two, two of the four reactors stayed online another, I think it was five to eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. The plant kept running. What you hear is, oh, my God, this thing. And it killed everything around. No, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't because the safety mechanisms of a nuclear reactor are much higher than any other form of electrical generation. Now, somebody could go, hey, nothing's ever going to happen to a solar panel or a wind turbine. I could 100% disagree with them. Um, I would say the land requirements it takes, the mining it takes for it, the amount of coal that's now being used for polysilicone, because most of all the fabrication, the making of a solar panel, the making of wind turbines, all the rare earth metals and minerals you need, things like resin um, and all sorts of different rubbers and toxins and that are needed to make these products, they come from China. Mm-hmm. So. We talked about geopolitics, so I'm going to in, ensure my entire energy system is going to go to arguably my biggest rival in the world. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, eh? <laughs> That's where I say with environmentalists, leftists in the Democratic Party, the Trudeau's Party, the Green Party. And, and this is a big statement I'm going to make. These people are every bit as dangerous as Nazis are because mm-hmm. they're a bunch of nihilists. They yeah. don't care. They only care about power. And what they want to do would kill scores of people, billions of people, or enslave them under the Chinese Communist Party. And I've said to people before, if you think it's so great, I dare you to do what you're doing in the U.S. and Canada and Europe, speaking out 
against political leaders and energy systems. I would dare you to go to China and begin to do that now. Go to China, go to Iran, go to Russia, go to North Korea, go to big parts of South America. You wouldn't be alive. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I understand that the war in Ukraine has pushed China closer to Russia with respect mm-hmm. to energy supplies. Can you speak a little about that? Because that's a real concern when they're forming a bit of an axis there. Well, they have. And now you've, you've now included Iran and North Korea supplying Russia with weapons. Um, the Russians are selling more of their oil and natural gas than ever to the Chinese. Uh, the Indians are buying more Russian oil than they ever have before at deep discounts. Oh, it's, I sorry. call it, yep, I call it a little bit of the Walmart theory. You know, the theory of how Sam Walton began his company was, I'm going to go into places and I'm going to make my goods so cheap, but I'm going to sell so much of them that it doesn't matter. Mm. The same thing is going, meaning I'm going to eventually run you out of business, take market share, and then gradually be able to raise prices. Even if I don't raise the prices, I've got a monopoly on market share in my area. That was his theory in Bentville, Arkansas, and he's now used it globally. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing going on. The Russians have hundreds of years of oil reserves, natural gas and coal, and they're selling it to the global south. And what we mm-hmm. forget, Tom, is that we think the West, and when I define the West, this is this post-World War II liberal-led order. And this was put together by the United States, Canada, France, Britain, you could also say the Koreas, Japan, Germany, because they became our allies. And that's kind of continued. That's the United Nations. That's the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. That's about a billion people I'm describing. Mm -hmm. Let's throw in Australia and New Zealand as well. We could throw in the Philippines. South America, they kind of tend to be their own folks, and they tend to lean now more towards China, Russia, a little bit of India. Iran, North Korea, it's really more China, you know, China, Russia, and India is kind of player on the fringes. But if I'm Russia and I can sell to the global South, and that's about four, four to five billion people versus a billion people, well, that's that's easy. That's why the Financial Times just released last week. The Russian economy is booming right now. It's doing better than ever. Oh, what a joke. And yet we were supposed to be trying to cripple them, but that hasn't happened, you're saying? No, the sanctions were the stupidest thing you could ever do. If you really wanted to bring Russia to their knees, we need to flood the world with cheap with cheap hydrocarbons. Yeah, flood the LNG. world with Yeah, flood the world with natural gas, flood the world the world with oil, flood it with coal. We should take I would I would take every environmentalist in the United States and Canada and I would say you're not allowed to do anything anymore. You're going to drill for everything you can. You're going to flood the world. You're going to make oil about five dollars a barrel. You will subsidize your economies in the U.S. and Canada and Europe and you will bring Russia down to their knees. It's the old Reagan theory. I'm going to outproduce you in military hardware. Mm -hmm. And what what did the old Reagan theory do? Well, he brought Russia to their knees in about eight years because they couldn't keep up economically. Yet, yeah. we think, yet we think we're going to send weaponry to Ukraine and that's going to work. And the Russians are going to go, no, we're just going to sell our oil, natural gas to over a billion Chinese, to over a billion Indians. We win and we'll yeah. win every and we'll win every single time and we'll sell coal. We'll also sell coal to China. And so their economy is booming right now. 
Yeah. The, 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 you know, their, their currency didn't collapse and it won't yeah. because it is a resource-based economy. Well, that's interesting because I was uh, in the military at the time of Reagan, actually. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was studying his strategic defense initiative. Mm -hmm. And that was something the Soviets tried to stay up to date with them on. You know, they, they had particle beam weapons. They had an anti-satellite satellite and various yeah. things. But they couldn't keep up with the U.S. And apparently mm -hmm. that contributed to the fall of the Soviet Union. What you're saying then is we can actually weaken Russia specifically by having our new version of Star Wars, and that is cheap energy. Sure. And and let me give some good credit to this. There's a, um, and, and I'm really, I'm going to promote this person, that, that there's a, uh, on Substack, the number one Substack is a group called Doomberg, D-O-O-M-B-E-R-G. Okay. They do fantastic work, and they're also very funny. Um, this person has podcasts. He gets interviewed all over the place. I subscribe to his Substack. I have no financial interest in in, the, in their company. And what he does is he's a green chicken. Oh, and yeah. so whenever <laughs> you see him, it's the Bloomberg terminal with the chicken little it being green. <laughs> and to their credit, they had said uh, back before, you know, the U when Ukraine was invaded to flood the world with hydrocarbons. Huh. Yes, I completely agree with them, but I'm also, I want to give them credit in saying after studying what they said, after doing the research, they're absolutely correct. I just, I'll take it a step further within the foreign policy realm and national security of going, we've got the model of how to bring Russia to its knees. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, the, the strategic defense initiative known as Star Wars. You would just do that with American energy right now. When you look at America's energy reserves, we have thousands of years of coal, hundreds of years of oil, the, the, the trillions of cubic feet of natural gas we have right now, we could also flood the world market with that. We could take Qatar, which is holding Hamas terrorists, undercut that, undercut that country also in the process, bring mm -hmm. them to their knees, put those bloodthirsty savages and let them be taken out by either us, the Israelis or somebody. Meaning you can use energy as a soft, as a soft weapon. Mm -hmm. you, you don't have to it doesn't have to be a military weapon to bring down countries and regimes or get them to change their behavior because energy is life because yeah. energy is everywhere if i want to get those hamas terrorists out of qatar and out of iran let's flood the world market with hydrocarbons and watch what happens to putin's russia watch what happens to qatar and watch what happens to the palestinian the palestinians who deserve a real governing authority and to make sure the Israelis are protected. You can clean up so many different things if all of a sudden you're going to lower the price of energy. Yeah, and yet Biden is going the opposite direction, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to LNG. I mean, yep. he's trying to appease the environmental groups by yep. making so they can't build new LNG export facilities. And that's the exact opposite of what you would do, I take it. Oh, absolutely. Because you're what you're saying is I want to, it. you know, it's the, the theory of soft power. Um, there was a gentleman in the Clinton administration, Joseph Nye, I believe that's his name, who advocated for soft power, meaning mm -hmm. he was talking about more diplomacy using the United Nations, the U.S. State Department. I would advocate for the soft power diplomacy of energy mm -hmm. um, because I can I can I have control of economies if I have, if I have energy. You can make the argument that the United States Canada and others, along with the EU, have not entered a recession. 
because we have such abundant resources of energy. Canada's blessed with massive amounts of fossil fuels. Um, Europeans, they refuse to use their fossil fuels, but they, they're, they're importing massive amounts from the likes of the Canadians and the Americans, the Australians somewhat. Um, so what you can do, as opposed to doing a pause, which is what Joe Biden just did in his administration, again, I would say listening to the most radical environmental elements within your administration, within the Democratic Party, I would permit if I were, you know, if I were running the world, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, you know, the grand poobah, uh, I would build every LNG facility I could. I'd build every pipeline I could. I would safely drill for oil on both coasts of the United States. I'd do every oil sand that I could in Canada. I would do all the coal that I could. And I would also then try to bring China more into the fold of mm -hmm. going, okay. You're no longer going to rely on the Russians for this. We've now collapsed the we've now collapsed the prices for all this. We're subsidizing all of our firms. The Russians don't have the money to do it. You can no longer buy cheap Russian hydrocarbons. You're now going to buy it from us, but you're going to change some things. China, you're going to get out of the South China Sea. You're going to stop menacing Taiwan. You're going to stop using the Belt and Road Initiative as a debt, uh, as a really a weaponized debt diplomacy weapon that you've used all across the former Silk Road. You're going to get the hell out of South America. That's part of the Monroe Doctrine of the United States and our partner, Canada. You're mm -hmm. no longer going to do this. this and is not done. take over, not take over African countries indirectly. Absolutely. Absolutely. The same thing. You're not going to do that anymore. And yeah. that's what we could do. And you could then, you then could really look up and go, okay, let's really see if we can get a wind turbine to work. Let's see if we can use solar panels in the Midwest and sunnier parts of, of the world backed up by nuclear power. Let's see if we can do that. Yeah, this is this is really pretty amazing. <clears throat> Instead of building more nuclear aircraft carriers and sending more and more munitions to the Ukraine, build more energy systems and thereby weaken Russia that way, bring China sure. into the fold. You know, it's kind of amazing how this energy situation biden is doing the exact opposite of what should be done not just to keep it so that the average american can afford their electricity prices but also for world peace i mean he's doing the exact opposite so when trump says drill baby drill or whatever he says yeah he's that's actually a peace platform oh uh, you you would actually say that if you really wanted global peace energy is life energy is life in your consumption of energy is going to be how prosperous your life is, how much ingenuity your society has. Will your, will your children not grow up in slavery? Will you have freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion? It is going to be based on your energy. A absolutely. Do you have access to coal? Do you have access to natural gas? Do you have access to oil? Have access to oil. I can build refineries. I can have over 6,000 products that come with that. If I have coal, I can have resilient, reliable electricity. So when someone like you is minus 50 degrees, you're, you're going to be warm. Mm -hmm. um, I then can take all of that. I can create great jobs. The, the oil industry jobs started about 90,000. The last time I looked, nuclear power plants started about 105,000. I can take these great paying jobs which are going to create tremendous amount of tax 
tax revenue, for infrastructure, for education, for if you believe in, if you want more social programs, if you want socialized health care, then I can use that as a soft power weapon. I would be building nuclear power plants much faster than a nuclear submarine. I can influence you more, China, by completely crushing the price of global hydrocarbons in the entire nuclear fuel cycle. You will then buy it all from me, Canada, Europe, uh, Japan, your only Australian coal, uh, South Korean shipbuilding, South Korean nuclear power plants. And I can bring China and India completely under this liberal-led order that the Allies set up post-World War II, because that is truly under attack by people like Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, I would tell anybody, the more you vote for these people, and people go, I hate Donald Trump. Fine, I'm not telling you to have dinner with Donald Trump. But the more you vote for these people, you are voting for the beginnings of World War III. Well, yeah, I was just about to say that. We constantly hear that in the news. And, and I, so when people read this World War III coming, blah, 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 more mm -hmm. weapons, more weapons, send mm -hmm. more money to Ukraine, the answer is no. Actually, no. Give, give inexpensive energy to the world and you solve this. You avoid World War III. We have to go for a break now, unfortunately. <laughs> but my guest today has been Todd Royal, energy expert. And as you obviously heard, policy expert as well. And this is really kind of, this is a fascinating discussion. We're going to continue after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them, from improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CofixRx because it works. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Now, George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. 
Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. So I'm back with energy expert Todd Royal. We've been talking about how to avoid World War III. We keep hearing about, oh my God, you know, they're going to have conscription in all these countries across Europe, which they do now. Uh, and you better plan, you know, your, your your bomb shelter, get everything ready. World War III is coming. In fact, this is just nuts. I mean, really, the solution to all of this is energy, inexpensive mm-hmm. energy to lessen the tensions of the world. I, I'd like it if you'd say a little bit more about Russia, Todd. I will. And yeah, thanks for letting me do this. When you think about the Russians, well, the Russians have a point of view and their point of view says we were invaded twice in the last couple of hundred years. First by Napoleon and then completely slaughtered by Nazi Germany. So they have a point of view. That's what people forget. And Vladimir Putin did say, stop coming this far, meaning to NATO, stop coming on my eastern flank. No, I'm not. Please, I want to hear from somebody. You're a Russian apologist. Stop that idiotic nonsense. When you look at geopolitics, countries have a point of view, whether rightly or wrongly, they have a point of view. It's a you call it self-interest rightly understood. Mm -hmm. Yes, I believe the Russians have gone too far by going into Ukraine. Um, But they are a nuclear power. So if you go, you're not going to defeat them militarily. Um, Dimitrov, their former president, has publicly stated in the past week, if NATO comes into Russia, we will use nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. They also have as part of their military doctrine to use battlefield nuclear weapons. So they they believe that it's a first strike capability. We don't believe that. Can you know, Canada, France, the United Kingdom, Israel, which of course has nuclear weapons, um, and others do not say, "Oh, we believe it's a first strike weapon." The Russians say it's first strike. So how am I going to change this country? How am I going to change an economy that is booming, a country that has taken over more and more of its neighbors the last fifteen years? How do I bring China, which is now fully aligned with Russia, which has taken over the entire South China Sea, menacing its neighbors like Vietnam and the Philippines, the South Koreans, the Japanese? Well, I would begin with Russia Mm -hmm. and I would bankrupt them and I would bankrupt them. by, as I said previously, I would flood the world with hydrocarbons, meaning oil, coal, natural gas. Yeah, and I the United give, States, I just, just point out, the United States is the Saudi Arabia of coal, aren't they? And the, and we're rapidly, we're the number one now in oil. We're number one in natural gas. I would work with whether the Trudeau government, or I know he's losing the polls, or the next prime minister of Canada and say, we're going to work together. We're going to bring all the oil we can out of Canada. And what doesn't go down to Mexico, it's heading in our own internal use we're flooding the world market with this. I'd work with the Saudis and I'd say, listen, your area is on fire right now. Um, we're going to stop that. You're no longer going to work with the Iranians. You're no longer going to you're no longer going to work with Palestinian terrorists. You're no longer going to work with Hezbollah. You're no longer going to work with Hamas. I'd tell Qatar, you're done as well. And I'd say, listen, I can bankrupt you and mm-hmm. I'm not going to fire a shot. I'm not going to deploy a Marine. The British, I believe they're the British chief of staff of, of their armed services said, 
The citizens need to prepare for war. Their prime ministers talked about preparing for war. That is the dumbest, dumbest thing you could do. I'm not a peacenik, but let's try let's try flooding the world with hydrocarbons and using soft power diplomacy, using economics. And then once you've done away with Russia, like we did previously in the Cold War, you go, Vladimir, I want to bring in, I want to bring into the world markets. I'm not looking to destroy your country. I'm not looking to invade your country, but I'm not looking for you to menace your neighbors anymore. So stop mm-hmm. it. You then- yeah, it's, inter- it's interesting. Yeah. You know, Vladimir Putin has some interesting points that he makes, which, you know, the media always dismiss it. And again, I'm not an apologist for Vladimir Putin. Neither am I. Yeah. Former, he's a former KGB agent. I don't know how many yeah. murders he has on his hands. But regardless, yeah. But, but you know, you have to actually ask. I mean, he actually had, well, at least the previous leaders of Russia had deals with the West that they wouldn't expand towards yep. Russia. But yep. we did anyway. You remember yes, Gorbachev had a deal with Baker when, you know, when the previous George Bush was in charge. And but we actually just continued to move further and further east. Anyways, we just simply broke our agreements. And and, you know, so, I mean, if if you're going to have peace, you have to see it through your adversary's eyes. Yep. And whether he's right or wrong, the fact is we didn't do what we said we would do. And as you say, he drew a red line and we crossed it. So, I mean. The whole thing is very complicated, but at the same time, the solution is not that complicated. It's to take away a lot of Russia's power, which is because we're making it very expensive to, you know, to buy oil. And, and of course, mm-hmm. that funds his military. So, yep. yeah, I, I just love your approach. It's it's a much more sensible approach. I think that Trump has the has the capability of understanding this. I mean, he keeps talking about how we're going to open up American energy. Do you think he recognizes that this is actually a way to peace with Russia, with China, to avoid World War III? Do you think he recognizes that actually making energy expand and become available to everybody very inexpensively is a way towards world peace? Absolutely. Because you saw it, you, you saw it during his administration. Do I think he understands the nuances of, you know, foreign policy theories and soft power, probably not. But what I do know he understands is he's a businessman. Right. And he's somebody who says, hey, Tom, hey, Todd, hey, American citizen, hey, person around the world. I want things to be peaceful and prosperous because I want to come build a golf course in your place Mm -hmm. or I want to I want you to build a factory over here. And the way to do that is through abundant energy. You're not going to change the Iranians' minds. And unless you're willing to truly have World War III, you're not going to get Hezbollah out of Lebanon. You're Mm -hmm. not going to get the Chinese out of the South China Sea. You have one economic lever that I would argue, and that's energy. Mm -hmm. That's energy. That's it. Because a sovereign country can default on their debt all day long. China could default on their debt. We could default on our debt. We could all default. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to put down my guns and not go and not go shoot you or start a war to take over Taiwan, to take mm-hmm. over Ukraine, Iran, to try to obliterate Israel. The only way you can really change them outside of dropping nuclear weapons or large-scale, war, large-scale warfare that we haven't seen since World War II which I would argue the world is still never recovered from is by flooding the world with energy. And then what Mm -hmm. you do 
is you then have to, as a government, I have to make sure that ExxonMobil or Canadian, you know, British Petroleum is not going to go out of business because you're used to having your oil sold at $80 a barrel. I'm going to bring it down to $2 a barrel. And I'm going to bring Saudi Arabia back in line. I'm going to say, I'm going to sign hundred year agreements with India to supply them with oil, natural gas, coal, nuclear. And at that point, then you can take all the Russian know-how and go, you can either share this with the world, same with the Chinese. You can stop your aggressive behavior. You can stop slaughtering your own citizens, committing environmental degradation and menacing every part of the world that you're in China, or we're going to bankrupt you because you can't afford, you cannot afford energy from Russia anymore. Mm -hmm. You can either buy it from us at $2 a barrel, or you can buy it from them at $150 a barrel. And that's what you can do when you can control just simple economics of supply and demand. Yeah. And it strikes me that this would also diffuse a lot of Islamic terrorism, too. Yes. Yes. Because you're removing you're removing a lot of the power from the Middle East. Yes. I'm removing the power from the Ayatollahs. I'm removing this radical element um, because they don't have the money anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. these people are funded by Saudi Arabia. They're funded by by business people who are making billions of dollars off oil and off oil and natural gas. We know, we know the Qatari government as the top leaders of Hamas living there in utter lap of luxury. Yeah. And they're they, billionaires too. And they're <laughs> billionaires and they're build The Qataris are building the largest LNG facility in the world right now. Yeah. Let's go bankrupt that and yeah. look at them and go, listen, you can either hand over everybody or, or we're going to make this $60 billion or $100 billion LNG facility be worth pennies on the dollar that the, we're then going to bring in our American private equity investment management firms to buy a distressed piece of debt. That then yeah, immediately after they buy it, we'll bring it up to its real value. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do this economically, Tom, in this notion of sending some poor bastard into Lebanon to fight some drug-addicted zealot Islamic maniac that does not need to happen or a Russian soldier who's fighting for mother Russia. Yeah. That does not need to happen whatsoever. This doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, uh, from the point of view of the society in Russia, I mean, we are not that different to the average Russian. I mean, it's interesting. I'm a fan of the space program. Of course, I was an aerospace yeah. engineer, and you can yeah. see I'm wearing my Star Trek shirt right now. I see, I see. you got it on. <laughs> I'm, I'm a space cadet. But the, the fact is, if you want to survive in space, one of the best partners to have is Russians, okay? And it's interesting, Todd, there's a YouTube video that shows how somebody in the West, how a group in the West get a truck out from a, from it's collapsed through, uh, it's collapsed through the ice on a lake and they take a day to get all these fancy high-tech machines and everything. But then they show how a Russian does it. And a Russian cuts down a tree or two, makes a lever and pries it out in the hour. And, you know, if you look at the Russian experience in space, for example, these are extremely adaptable people. I mean, you want to have a Russian on your crew because you will survive. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, I have, I have a couple of friends who are Russians and I mean, they're very similar to us culturally. 
Yeah. You know, they're they're quite conservative and they're practical people. The last mm -hmm. thing we want to do is fight with Russians. They're our potential allies. And of course, they were in World War II. And this is something people forget is that the Russians were our allies against the Nazis. You know, mm -hmm. so, I mean, these are not the people we want to have as our enemy and we can have them as our friend through making the world flooded with inexpensive yeah. hydrocarbons. You know, this is amazing. I'm going to have to write about this, no question about it. And I'm going to re rely on you and this interview for quotes and things, because it is so obvious when you present it like this, that no, don't build more aircraft carriers and send more Patriot missiles to the far, to the East, the Middle East, have inexpensive energy. So you take away the driver of Putin's war machine, you know? Yeah. Now, I just want to shift gears here a little bit. Um, okay. Do you force, you know, everybody, <laughs> the, the environmentalists in the States, they, they seem to think that the U.S. can safely replace coal, oil, and natural gas with wind and solar power with battery backup. Whoopee! You know, mm -hmm. battery backup is a funny one, eh? Because you saw what happened in Alberta. I yeah. mean, Alberta, yes. during their cold snap, they had zero reserve on every power source. So they brought in their battery packs. Okay, it was really exciting. Battery packs, 79 megawatts for 10 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, do you foresee a time in the near future when the U.S. can safely replace oil? I think I know the answer to this, but can they safely replace fossil fuels with wind and solar power? I always like to qualify it because I don't want it to sound like you know, some hard right conservative answer. As an analyst, and I've written three books on this subject, I've done numerous studies, I've done value chain studies on battery energy storage systems, on solar, I'm currently doing one on wind, I'm finishing one up on nuclear power. I can tell you from just a pure factual technological standpoint, uh, after looking at hundreds of engineering studies and academic literature, nowhere do I see that it is technologically viable, meaning looking at the law of physics, that anywhere that the United States is going to get all of their electricity from the wind and the sun, meaning a solar panel farm or a wind turbine farm. Um, most of them don't even reach 35% of what they're supposed to even do. We know that solar goes down at night. We know the wind, when it gets very hot or very cold, goes to nothing. And then as far as battery energy storage systems, the best thing that I've read on it is a guy named Francis Merton. He does something called the Manhattan Contrarian. He's, he's done his own study. I think he did it for the Global Warming Policy Foundation out of Britain on battery systems. But then he got a, there was an engineer um, did a study a few years ago. He literally just looked at the amount of power or pardon me, the amount of energy that goes in to the amount of electricity produced for the United States and said, how much would it cost to have battery energy storage systems at grid scale? And what he found is the cost would be $450 trillion and under current, <laughs> and under current technology, you would have anywhere between two minutes to an hour. And typically... Yeah. When I did my study, what you want to say, we did a SWOT analysis as well, is that you want to look up and go, I can store enough electricity for 30 days. Almost. So you're doing a, a dual system the way we do now with, you know, the peaker plant, the spinning reserve. There's a third one whose name I can't think of. Um, your, your, your former partner, you know, God rest his soul, Jay Lord, 
did some of the best work on this that I'd ever read before. Um, Jay understood the electrical system, the electrical grid as good as anybody I've ever read. I, my second book's on the electrical grid and I quoted Jay heavily in his resources. But when you look at a battery energy storage system or you know it, a grid scale that's run on lithium, the amount of mining for lithium would be, I think it's 30 times what is going on currently. You would need to start OD opening up lithium mines almost one a week. Yeah. Um, and so, or, be or become totally dependent on China. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so when you look at that, Tom, you just go, hey, hey, guys from Greenpeace or Friends of the Earth or the Green Party in Germany or the folks in Canada who uh, subscribe to these values. Hey, guys, I don't vote your way, but I'm just letting you know from a technological standpoint, the law of physics, how much power you're going to get into the grid. Then you have to bring in the law, this, you know, the second law of thermodynamics. It's not viable. So the mm -hmm. only thing that's currently viable is, you know, wood, biomass, oil, um, natural and, gas. And, and starvation. And start starvation. So if you really want to say, <laughs> hey, I want to be, you know, and all roads kind of lead back to back to Rome. If you want to be carbon free and you want it to be reliable, the only thing then you have is nuclear. And I would yeah. actually tell you that right now. The best plan for nuclear in the world, for the brand new small module reactors, the number one plan that I've seen, and I've been doing my current uh, work for two and a half years now, is the Canadian, uh, what's called the SMR plan. Y'all yeah. have the best plan in the world. And at one point, I think uh, Canada built 20 reactors in 20 years. Mm. So there's no reason that you act also... This goes where you go, man, you can be in lockstep with environmentalists. I can be best friends with the Sierra Club and Friends of the Earth. And you go, guys, we, we both want a clean environment. I've got children. You want clean air. I love to go outdoors. I love to hike. I love to do. I love to travel. I love to do all that. But the only way we're going to be able to do it and you and I both not starve and or die is nuclear power. So that's mm -hmm. it. Now, I'm not telling you, maybe, you know what, guys, maybe one day. There's going to be an incredible discovery that's going to make that wind turbine produce 100% of the time. And for the battery <laughs> storage system, that's going to, man, we cracked it. We cracked out the periodic table. We're, we're taking out lithium, putting this in. Man, it now can store it for three months. Great, great. Yeah. So the fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Well, yeah, and I have to give some credit to the Trudeau government in Canada. I have to recognize the fact that they are promoting nuclear quite solidly, you know, mm -hmm. so this is a very sensible thing. I may not be a fan of Trudeau, but he is doing the right thing when it comes to nuclear. So that's actually going to be the topic of our show next week. Okay. You know, we have to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but if you're the average citizen listening to this, how would you recommend that they actually push so that we're not left hungry and freezing in the dark in an energy crisis that Biden seems to be intent on us getting towards. I would tell them, don't vote for Biden. Don't vote for Trudeau. Um, but people may go, but wait a minute, I'm for gay marriage. I'm for abortion. Um, I'm for greater social services. And those are all your choices in a free society. Hey, I want transgender rights, or I, I believe that there should be no borders and the United States should take in 20 million people a year. I, you can have all those beliefs, but I would tell anyone everything that I just mentioned, along with better schools, roads. Do you want to do you want to fund your police? Maybe you want to defund the police. 
But all of that starts with energy. Mm-hmm. And so currently, Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau believe the world's warming uncontrollably, which it isn't. And they believe the way to solve it is by only getting your electricity from solar panels, wind turbines, and driving an electric vehicle on an electrical grid that can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Your, na- mm-hmm. your own neighborhood little grid itself could not handle it if everyone plugged in an electric vehicle at the same time. So I would tell the average citizen, listen, you need to begin to understand energy a lot better, but you need to look at and go, who's the person that wants to build nuclear? Okay, Joe Biden wants to do that. That's that. That's uh, so does Justin Trudeau. So check. But also, do they want to use fossil fuels and do they want to only use electric vehicles if the prices can come down and the grid has been greatly expanded? Mm-hmm. And those answers are no. So I would look for candidates, be it Donald Trump or be it whoever's running in Canada, uh, different persons who are against the Green Party in Germany and go, who is saying that they want abundant, affordable, scalable, reliable, resilient, and flexible energy. And what I just said, the only ones that meet all those criteria are nuclear for electricity, coal for electricity, natural gas for all its different, whether they're using for electricity or heating oil, and oil, which is primarily for uh, transportation and then petrochemicals, lubricants, and products. Mm-hmm. So I would go with the I'd go with the person who's going to say I want to use everything that's going to keep me alive and prosperous, and we can actually try to work on this whole global peace and domestic peace issue. Yeah, it also strikes me that they should go to public meetings when the politicians are trying to you know solicit votes mm-hmm. and go to the microphone and say, look. I am for world peace. I don't want World War III. So you have to stop this climate scare. And, you know, it's interesting how the climate scare is behind Mm -hmm. so many problems in the world right now. You could say that the climate scare could cause World War III. What do you think? Is that is that being silly? No, it's not because you're making decisions where you're giving away your national sovereignty in the name of climate change. And you somehow think that if I destroy my nation, that. Russia or China or the Middle East is going to be nice to me. They're all going to realize, hey, I made this global agreement. I'm getting rid of all my coal. And the Chinese and the Indians go, but we're not going to do that. We have over a billion people. We have to have jobs and feed and make sure they have warmth or, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, exactly. And so this climate scare. And again, let's say the world is uncontrollably warming. Well, we've adapted as people, and that's not the case if you look at whether billions of years ago, millions of years, thousands of years, gosh, even hundreds of years ago. It was warmer. It was cooler. There was more PPM, you know, parts per million particles in the air. The oceans were higher. They were lower all before the advent of the Industrial Revolution, the use of fossil fuels. And, and, you know, I'm going to promote you, Tom, because I know you've got Many, many videos on this. I know you've written about this extensively, and I know I know about uh, not even 1% of what you know, but from a true geopolitical standpoint and human prosperity, we are taking something that doesn't exist, using it as a political control mechanism, and we are destroying the West. We are committing suicide. We are committing political suicide, economic suicide, and prosperity suicide based on this notion of the climate. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it strikes me that you could take Reagan's peace, truth, strength uh, slogan and just put in one more word there, peace through energy strength. Yes. So that that is the key, not only to world prosperity, but also to world peace. And, you know, I think this interview, Todd, has been probably the most important that I've ever had up on our show. I'll say that. And I'm, so I'm thrilled to say that we're bringing you back next week okay. specific, specifically to drill down more into the nuclear topic, because okay. I don't think that's talked about enough. And in particular, I'd like to talk about safety, storage, long term waste storage. Is that OK with you? Absolutely. I, I love being on your show, Tom. And yeah. this is also it's been a fascinating discussion with you as well. And and I do encourage your your listeners, your viewers and others to to read your material on global warming and climate change, how temperatures are gathered. And I encourage them also to look at your videos. I've done read many of your articles, looked at many of your videos, and I encourage them to do the same. Oh, well, thank you, Todd. And we'll link to your books under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. Great. So my guest, yeah, my guest today has been Todd Royal, internationally po- published columnist, energy policy expert based in Dallas, Texas. So this is Tom Harrison, my guest, Todd Royal, signing out from the other side of the story. If you're enjoying this episode, we ask that you donate to the International Climate Science Coalition or ICSC at ICSC climate.com to help us pay for the show. We get about 50,000 listeners per program, so it's certainly worth continuing. 